this podcast is all about talking about the questions that we all have in relation to Christian life in the world. You have to um, put a camel through a needle or something. Mm -hmm. Then we have to, you know, face like, persecution. Like wear a mask. What no, uh, <laughs> a hot take. Hot take. <laughs> I'm a normal dude. George is a Presbyterian pastor. Right. This is not for homeschool Johnny. All right. Here we are. Cool Kids Bible Study episode. It's episode 17, the title of which is Your Best Life Now. And we're, ah, we're going to be talking about prosperity preaching. Uh, George, this is one of the first concepts that you brought up when we first when were like putting the show together. Right? Yeah, Do you remember? I remember. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's something like that I've wanted to talk about for a while now. So I'm excited that we can do it, even though I think like, you know, everyone will be in agreement with us. So, yeah, <laughs> so it's like we're preaching to the choir. But yeah, it, it is like preparing for this episode. I was thinking, like, what do I even have to add to this topic? Because it's so op seemingly open and shut. Right. Sure. But I think it's it gets interesting when you get into like what does God want for us in terms of money? Right? Okay, like, yeah. Like, you know, like, what does God want us to be destitute? Like, d does God look at every single Porsche driver and say, why aren't you driving a used Ford Focus and giving the rest of that money to the poor? Or is there a middle ground? And I think sure. that's where we can have some fun. So, a little teaser, a little taste. Yeah. Little, mm, just a little amuse-bouche. Mm for the deep dive, you know? <laughs> sure, that sounded wonderful on the bikes. Mm, it's good. Amuse bouche. Ma bouche est amusée. <laughs> so before that, uh, we have some light banter to go through, don't we? Just get a little yes, warmed up. Get the yeah. gears flowing. Get the blood flowing. Get the... Get the just, just get that indescribable je ne sais quoi that only we can bring to the world of Christian podcasting. Isn't that right, George? Yeah, I mean, you've been throwing around a lot of French, and that has to do with one of mine, so I'm excited. <laughs> All right, great. Here we go. <clears throat> and now for a spot of light banter. Hit me, George. So, no Normally, normally Cole, this is the segment that Cole carries with whatever comedic thing that he wants to talk about. But I have not one, but two things that I ran into recently that I that I think would be interesting. So the first thing that I, I want to talk about uh, is something that happened to me at church today. And this is oh, earlier today. I, I talked to Cole and I was like, I have something for our light banter. It's a Thursday and, for reference when we're recording. Yeah, it's Thursday. Yeah. yeah. And so I, uh, Thursdays are my long day. So I'm at the church usually longer than I am, but I was able to get a little out a little earlier today. So around four and I'm leaving my church and I leave and I look over to the side and I see a car that's conspicuously kind of parked on the side of the church. And I go, oh, that's kind of interesting. And, uh, so I walk over there and I, as I am approaching the car, just to, you know, see what it is. I, I noticed that that two people are making the beast with two backs in in the <laughs> in the back of the car. Wow! And and they 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 notice 
<laughs> they notice that I'm coming over. And so I see them scrambling. And just for everyone who doesn't know where my church is, obviously, I w- I'm right. We are right across from a high school. <laughs> so like these are teenagers and i i as i approach the back of the car i see a condom fly out the <laughs> and land on our on our lawn and so and, and so land I, on I, the nativity <laughs> it hit baby jesus right in the face <laughs> and the virgin and so, mary you know, cried I, I i'm like yo and someone responded, I'm like, and they're like, you're getting dressed. And so I was like, yeah. Wait, so I, I'm waiting. Hold on. So hold on. And wait, then, wait, 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 wait. You yelled what exactly? I was like, yo. You were like, yo? Said. <laughs> you said yeah, yo like, to yo. these people? And I knocked on the side of the car. Yeah. You I said don't know how to get their yo, attention. And you knocked on the supposed, side of the car. What am okay. I supposed to do? You like, cos- hey! Cos- hey! Cosplaying <laughs> as a teenager? Get that out of her. Yo, get that bro. out of her right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah, so I, you, you know, knock you say yo yeah and then they they're they're it's it's they're, they're teenagers probably i mean he looked like he was 17 18 years old um and so he was like super scared that i was there and i've never been in my adult life in a position of like being that authority figure that when when kids look at you they're like get scared of what you're gonna do <laughs> I love this. Does your guardian angel watch you pound off? Yes. And Pastor George watches you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so, um, uh, you know, I, I told them, you know, you can't, you can't do that. Here. <laughs> um, and, you know, I said the pastor here and they're like, wait, this is a church. And I, I, I can't believe that they didn't know that. Cause there's a massive sign as, as you enter our parking lot. And then they said, we thought this place was abandoned. And I just want everyone to realize. <laughs> I want everyone to realize that we like manicure our lawns. We have like a new gazebo that we built outside. It's really nice. It's 2022, and, bro. We thought all churches had been converted into Quiznos. <laughs> right. Yeah. And We're then, already living in a post Yeah. World and then that all Quiznos all the were abandoned. just landmarks. Yeah. Yeah. It's so. It's so you know, I, I mean, like it was it was a fine conversation. Invited him to church on Sunday. <laughs> That's how I ended. I was like, by the way, if you want to show up, 10 a.m., baby. So, uh, um, yeah, if you can uh, manage to come there with your dick in your pants, that'd be even better. Right. Yes, that would be ideal, actually. Oh, uh, wow. And so that's the first time that's ever happened. And I then I called my secretary and I was like, you know, this just happened. Obviously, I'm not, you know, I forgiveness. I didn't rat them out and give their license plate or whatever. I don't care. Get about. their license plate. What would you do with their license plate? Call the cops? no. I don't, like I'm just telling you, dude. In in normal like s- like circumstances, obviously that's something that you you could go after someone for if you don't want them doing public it. fornication. So, yeah, I guess. yeah. It's probably so. Illegal. I have no interest in in doing that though, and it's a suburb, and I'm sure there are people who who would, but I I don't care. I forgiveness, whatever moved on but i just told my secretary just in case and uh, she was like oh yeah that's not the back. first time it's not the first like, she's time like, that, no she's oh. like oh yeah that's happened a bunch of times like, i was like great same kids or no 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 but, like different instances over the years of this this church has been here so it's great hey babe we'll be real romantic let's, go. let's get in my kia sorrento we'll go to that abandoned <laughs> building with the big t on it <laughs> 
yeah. So that was uh, that was something exciting that happened in my life today, and uh, really, it was just just strange being some sort of authority figure because I've never really been in that position. Now, as a as a virgin, though, how did you know what was happening? Was there a a period of time where you? had to understand what he was doing to her or were you I was like why is he hurting her? What's going on? Don't worry kid, I'm not hurting your mother. <laughs> I'm like I, I hear noise are you are you okay ma'am? Are you hurting? Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. I've seen I've seen, remember we've all seen Game of Thrones Cole. That's that scene, right. But, right, yeah. See, I I just know everything from television. Yeah, let's have a after you get married, we're going to have to have a talk uh, before you consummate so that I can explain to you that uh, sex as portrayed in Game of Thrones is not always accurate. Oh. oh, really? Yeah. I don't have threesomes with like 10 hot women in a brothel all the time. I didn't know that. <sighs> not all the time. Certainly not on High Holy Days. Um, sure. Okay. <laughs> well, all right. So you invited them to church. And then they they drove away and didn't pick up their condom. Oh no! <laughs> oh, that's so that's so sad. I know it's still on the nativity to at this moment. I'm not touching it. <laughs> oh, no, you can't leave it on the nativity, George, with all the dripping and oozing. Oh, that's really that's really distasteful. Well, I don't know what I'm yeah. supposed to do with that. You, you made it sound like no, you had a no. That bump. was just a funny story that I wanted to share. <laughs> this is this, the next thing is what I actually wanted to talk to you about. Okay, because this is so I was doing like some reading and like for people who don't know, I'm into like I mean this is clearly obvious, but like I'm into studying Japan and the Japanese language, and I ran into something that's interesting, Cole, that I think you would appreciate. So I was looking like through some travelogues and something, and I ran into something that the Japanese call. Uh, Pari Shokogun, which is which is Paris syndrome. Yeah, Have you ever yeah, heard? yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I had uh, never I, heard. I knew of this a Japanese before. girl when I lived in France who experienced this and had to like call the embassy and shit. Yeah. All right, all right. So, what do you, do you want to tell people what Paris syndrome is, and then yeah. how you can totally believe it's a real thing because you lived you you lived in France for a little bit and you speak French. I literally very... know someone who experienced this. Yeah. Y yeah. So yeah. okay. Um, Japanese society is extremely rigid and there are very tight codes of conduct for all public interactions. Uh, and France is, let's just say, not like that, right? So mm -hmm. the, the French can be very uh, curt, very uh, like they don't have a lot of patience with foreigners and <laughs> they like they're they can be very rude and unforgiving if you don't understand their customs. Mm -hmm. So uh, when Japanese people come to France and many Japanese people come to France regularly because they romanticize, you know, the fashion industry, the artwork, uh, the wine, the perfume, all of that. It's like very highly venerated in Japan. Yeah. It's probably their third favorite culture. If you go to Japan, you see that they've set like French-esque things up everywhere. There. Yeah, they, they love really France. love the idea of France. <laughs> and then the idea of France. They yes, go yes, there that's, that's the important and they part, find yeah. that like, wow, these people are like really rude. They have no <laughs> patience for me learning the language. Like they experience a lot of racism. Um, and because the French are really intolerant of if your French isn't like 
very good they like scoff at you and they're like I, this, this is a waste of my time like you, you idiot like you know <laughs> as if you like were born with your head up your ass because you you can't pronounce the difference between ooh and ooh. like you know like, so <laughs> they they're really unforgiving and for the japanese for whom like decorum and respect is everything this flies in the face of everything that they've been socioculturally taught and it is a it, it's a negative experience that stands in such flagrant and stark contrast to their idealized view of french society that uh, they develop this thing that they've dubbed Paris syndrome, where they go into utter shock and depression. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd never heard of it before, and it makes uh, it made complete sense when I was when I was reading about it because I've been to France, and uh, I, I mean I've only been to Paris and and like the, the the Rhine region, like that part, and so I haven't seen as much of the country as a lot of people, but like it definitely in paris they people are very curt and don't don't waste time like they 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 get pretty annoyed (laughs) yeah and if you don't understand their code of conduct like they will dismiss you in as rude a fashion as they can so you were in marseille is that also true in marseille so i was in montpellier but i've i spent a lot of time in marseille and i wrote my like final french major dissertation on uh, the modern cultural landscape of Marseille, but I, uh, yeah, in Montpellier, I mean, I'll speak for Mediterranean France in general because Montpellier mm-hmm. is kind of like its own beast. It's it's the only Mediterranean city that was founded by the French, whereas the rest are like Phoenician or Greek or you know Occitan or from other cultures. Right. Um, so I'll sort of leave Montpellier aside. In Mediterranean France, I mean, the people are different, like the. the historically you know it's a different religion right it's historically protestant versus catholic uh ethnically the people are more like mediterranean you know like uh they look more like me than in you know paris or the north of france um Mm -hmm. and it's a lot the people are a lot more like warm and and welcoming everyone's like this is like a very well understood phenomenon for french people they're like yeah like the Mediterranean French are just more like chaleureux, like literally like meaning like warm in a figurative sense. Right. Mm-hmm. So not literally warm, but figuratively warm. Um, right. And so it's, it is different down there, but, but I mean, I knew a Japanese girl who experienced this exact thing in Mediterranean France. So yeah. it's still France, but yeah, it, you know, they are generally more like open hearted there. I couldn't imagine a harder language for Japanese people to learn than French. Yeah. Not only do you have like, I, I mean, yeah, like it's, it's, so tough. it's like, yeah, it's like any romance language would probably be very difficult, but French is like the pinnacle of weirdness when it comes to romance languages, even yeah. by the way it sounds. And so it's just, it's like, you know, one of the, if anyone knows this, you study Japanese or you even know the stereotype, I guess, is that Japanese doesn't have an L sound <laughs> and right. like french is like, <laughs> like all else elves. yeah <laughs> right so so i can only imagine like i can't imagine how they do all sorts of things it's really yeah it, it could just see it being incredibly and, and the differences so. in sounds are like so subtle yep and, and if you mess one up the french 
will be totally lost. And they're yeah. not doing it. Everyone thinks they're doing it to be dicks. Like, I don't know. I was in Marseille and uh, I was trying to find a place, a, well, a, a plus, uh, uh, like a square, right? A town yeah, square. plaza. It was yeah. called like uh, La Place Thiers. T-H-I-E-R-S. It's pronounced Thiers. Okay. Okay. Um, and the person I was with said, like, uh, in French, I'm trying to find La Place Thiers. Ah. Uh. The woman was completely lost. She's like, <laughs> La Place Thiers. La Place Thiers. Est-ce que je sais où on peut trouver? She was going through in her head, like, what is... is All the like, different places. What the fuck yeah. is... <laughs> there's a there's a plaza i don't know of in my own city like and there are all sorts of weird little plazas in french cities so it's totally conceivable right um so she was like oh and then i was like i saw what was happening i was like oh no like on cherche la place she goes oh la place okay and the person i was with goes like what gives like i did everything (laughs) of the rest of the sentence right i was really like you know deliberate in my pronunciation i said all the different and i was like yeah but you said tier and it's tier she goes, oh, right. come on. They know. I'm like, no, <laughs> they really don't. Like, they're totally thrown, right? And um, whereas, like, if you're, if you're Japanese, that's going to be the hardest part of learning a foreign language for you is nailing subtle pronunciation differences. And, like, if you go to America as a Japanese person, like, Americans will meet you halfway, especially mm-hmm. big city Americans. Yeah, they're used to seeing all sorts of uh, of tourists and foreigners and yeah, things like exactly. That. Yeah. So like, but the French like, they're not gonna meet you halfway. And the Japanese French speakers that come visit France like they need to be met way more than halfway. <laughs> so yeah. they the, the, it's it's also a shock because they come to France and they're like, hold on, I've spent eight years studying French and literally no one can understand anything I'm saying. <laughs> so can you imagine if like you're convinced you speak French and like you get A's in all your French classes? And and this also happens to American students. Don't get me wrong. Like Americans mm. who are so-called like honors French students go to France and can't get around town to save their lives. Because it's just a hard language, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, like uh, I think the standard of French education in America is appallingly low like compared to spanish especially like our standards for spanish pronunciation are pretty high if you mess up you're gonna have a teacher that's like no it's actually pronounced like arrojo or something whatever the word is uh but in french the teachers kind of have this like "Eh, good enough this person's you know not gonna be going to france anytime soon anyway attitude (laughs) not all french teachers but like a lot of them and they just kind of like roll their eyes and they're like, okay, they're not nailing it, but it's a hard language. And, and so even Americans go there and and, and they, they're under the impression they're fluent in French and they, uh, ha- like, they're not. <laughs> they have a really mm-hmm. hard time. So the Japanese are like hopelessly lost. Um, so anyway, now that we've, yeah, we've I, beaten that subject to death. I just thought it was interesting. I just thought it was a fun fact to think about. And really, I just wanted to also remind everyone who doesn't know Cole personally that Cole can speak French incredibly well and studied it and and that he's going to read the entire entirety of of Calvin's 
uh, commentaries and institutes in French, <laughs> because as we know, Calvin was a native French speaker and and he translated everything into French. So, um, yeah, when, so I'm one excited fine for that. day, yeah, ce sera un véritable honneur. I'd be interested to see how well you can, uh, like, how ancient it is and whether mm -hmm. it's like you're not ancient I've tried. I know it's 1500s no i've tried it is very hard because not only is oh, it okay. like it's not just the time but it's the fact that it's like french theology sure yeah so it's very specific yeah 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 words. It, it's it's yeah. very tricky i'm like dude i might as well be like trying this in latin <laughs> but because i mean institutes was it was originally written in latin right it's yeah, it's originally written in Latin, but he also wrote the French edition, which apparently, according to some people who know this much better than I do, had the same impact on the French language that Martin Luther's Bible had on German and the King James had on English. Wow. So wow, because um, yeah. it was made to be carried around in your pocket, so all the French Protestants would would carry them around. Yeah, it's interesting. So. Like when I try to have conversations in French about church life. I struggle a lot because I was an atheist the whole time I was learning French and sure. lived in France. So like, I just never had like conversations about like, I, like I was having a conversation with a French friend and I was trying to say like the Eucharist and I was like, what do they even say? You know, oh, isn't it a curse word in Ist? Isn't it Ist or something? Ist? I, it's like, Ist, like host. I know it's a curse word in Quebec. <laughs> so yeah all the the, the uh the in quebec they use all these church words as curse words so oh tabernacle uh, stuff stuff like that that well yeah they use a lot of okay it's, it's just the same word but i know there's something else they use all i know is i was in notre, notre dame when i was there and um and they, there was a mass going on. And of course, like all the tourists were going around, which I can't imagine doing a church service in, with all those tourists around. But I yeah. remember the priest is like, Le Gospel de Saint Jean. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I understood that. I understood that. Apparently it's l'Eucharistie. So I don't know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I'm sure they might say like the host as well. I don't know. Anyway, enough of this namby-pamby European French stuff. <laughs> let's, uh, let's get to some good old American religious studies yes please let's dive deep amen george's deep dive it's so deep all right george all right He's so this the the title of this episode is your best life now which is taken from a book by joel osteen which is very popular um and uh, and the, the prosperity gospel, even if you might not know what it is, you probably have heard of some of the people, even if you're like not religious, some of the people that are like big names in it. So that's like Joel Osteen, Benny Hinn, uh, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Copeland for people. If you want a quick reference, if you were familiar with that meme that was passed around really early in COVID of the pastor guy going COVID-19, <laughs> I blow the wind of God. And it, like, and you know, he has, he's like, Oh, dude, the Orthodox like, flipped out at that video. They got <laughs> so peeved. <laughs> That's Kenneth Copeland. Um, and there's other people, TZ Jakes, you know, all these other big people, Paula White. Um, so you may have heard of some of them. They usually, like, you know, pop up on the news. Like, I think Joel Osteen's church a few months ago, they found, like, that there was money hidden in the walls there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, they're, they're 
you hear about them a lot. Like they're on TV. I think I should say that they are not the majority, like not even close to the majority no. of churches in the United States are like this. Um, but they are very popular with people, especially they got a lot of reach online. Um, so you see their books in Walmart and, and stuff like that. So even if you're outside of the church, I think this could be for you, like for people who are like that, a really interesting look inside um, to something that's incredibly popular going on, uh, not only in the U.S., but like in the world, because this is one of the fastest mo- Christian movements that's going on, like in the global south, especially. So like Latin America, Africa, Asia, like this is this is big. So it's it's really it's really, really popular. Um, it's not just in the United States. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to say, just a little bit of history here, uh, is it comes out of the charismatic movement. Um, so there's lots of emphasis on miraculous stuff. I think a lot of people have seen that video of Benny Hinn, even if you don't know who that is. He's the guy, if you've seen the video, people walking towards him and he's hitting them with coats and they're falling <laughs> over. Like that, that's that. That's that guy. Um, so there's a lot of emphasis on like miracles and healings, especially. Uh, sometimes people call it the health and wealth gospel. So it's this idea that if you pray, if you give money, if you truly believe, Right. If you truly believe that you're then you'll be healed and God will give you what you want. So sometimes people call it the word of faith. Right. You just have to have a you have to have faith and and God will God will give it give to you what you want. Um, And so you'll see people talk about this or they'll claim things in the name of Jesus. So it's also called like name it and claim it. So you could say like, you know, I want that car and I claim this in the name of Jesus and uh and and that means that it'll happen so backwards yeah well (laughs) well 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 so it is it is right uh and obviously like i think even people who don't know the bible super well like even if you're know a little bit about it like you know the book of job or something you can kind of see a problem with this type of thinking right it's this idea that god always wills whatever you want and god never wills sickness or wills suffering or anything like that. And, uh, and and so it's it, there. You can even see like, well, that's not true. I kind of, you know, you can just see that at, all over the place. I mean, one of the ways that people attack the Bible the most is because of all the bad things that that sometimes that God wills or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like you think of the the Red Sea, like like the, the Israelites go across. So God willed something positive for them, but then the Egyptians try and go and he, and he k- kills all of them, right? So it's it's one of those things. It's like, oh, suffering still happens. Um, and I think it kind of puts humanity at the center and treats God like a genie or like a slot machine uh, where you can just be like, give me this. Yeah. And you, you pull the lever. And then if you don't, then you kick the machine <laughs> until it gives you what you want. Right. Uh, and that's that this type of thinking comes from. And this is very, very popular in the United States. Um, and so especially in charismatic churches and obviously hashtag not all, not all charismatics do this. Okay. Most don't, but like this is, this is popular with. I mean, yeah, I consider myself a charismatic just for the record. So. Right. Right. So I just, just wanted to say that if just because it's a Pentecostal church or a charismatic church, it doesn't mean that they're they're part of this. So the the, idea, the reason it's called the prosperity gospel is because God wills prosperity for you, or whatever, uh, and so that's that's why it's it's really really popular among people generally. Um, and as you pointed out, like like just listening to this, it seems like it's like a really like easy thing to debunk. 
uh, and to get rid of. Right. But I, I wanted to I wanted to do a benefit of the doubt because our listeners or I wanted to give them benefit of the doubt and try okay. and present a strong case or at least go steel look at man one text. Them. Steel man. Them. Yeah. yeah. I want to look at one text that that I think would probably is probably their best text um, because our listeners deserve the best. So I have a text here from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and in this, Jesus is just cursed the fig tree, which for anyone who's followed Richard Dawkins, that's like to him, one of the greatest crimes that, that Jesus ever committed. He's like, why did he have to hurt a tree? It's like, all right, dude, whatever. It's about the temple, it, whatever. So Jesus curses the fig tree, it withers and dies. Peter notices and he goes, oh, wow, look, this thing happened. And just as Jesus's response, he says, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So when you look at it that way, right, it's like, whoa, that's a pretty strong claim that Jesus is making. And you can see how someone would take that and go, well, that says, you know, Jesus says right there, if you believe you're going to get it. So I believe this, I'm going to get it. And so I think that's a really good passage to look at there. Yeah, within um, context, of course, which yeah. I'm well, sure you're going to dive into. Well, <laughs> well, within context, uh, I think it's interesting. So it's, I guess, if you assume, if you assume that Mark is an idiot and uh, wasn't paying attention, or if you believe like the Gospels are specifically really well constructed to prove things or something, like you, you completely take out the fact that these could be eyewitness accounts, you'll see that Mark actually, it what seems to be uh, a contradiction here, because Jesus later, and this is a very famous scene in the Gospel of Mark, uh, prays, uh, and he prays for something very particular. He prays to not be crucified. Uh, this is like a famous scene like that you see in a lot of paintings. He's in the garden and he's praying, you know, Father, let this cup pass from me. And then he says, but if, if it is your will, you know, let that happen. There we go. Right? Yeah. So and that's that's kind of the context that that you to shove in there is that where do we align our will with God? And that's that's kind of uh, the idea. But but you can see just p picking these things out, it can seem like that that that's a totally normal thing like god will just give you whatever you want and then it kind of but it kind of misses jesus's whole point of prayer which is aligning yourself with god's will um and and understanding that sometimes god's will is to say no <laughs> to, to things that we ask for mm -hmm. um but right. as you were pointing out there's this whole other cultural side to it and that's the culture of wealth and and how do we handle wealth in it um so as an as an anarcho-capitalist cole how do you think we should handle wealth because capitalism means just getting as much money as as possible and hoarding it for yourself so tell us i'm actually not a huge fan of even the term anarcho-capitalist um gosh i think you know already insufferable <laughs> <laughs> well well i mean the term was sort of like i think partially murray rothbard's desire to like reclaim capitalism from the left uh, because capitalism is kind of a a leftist construction as a okay. as a term, uh, because it it is based on the you know debunked idea that it's a system wherein those with capital accrue more wealth 
perpetually and those without capital are just eternally screwed <laughs> hence capitalism mm. uh so i i would rather refer to myself as a voluntarist or like uh, a market-based anarchist <laughs> but whatever uh <laughs> all right so as a market-based I'm even, anarchist i'm even okay with anarcho-syndicalism and uh you know anarcho-communism as long as those communities don't like impose their will of lifestyle on other communities if, if it's like if it's an opt-in thing and there's also an opt-out then communism's totally fine with me like go for it you know just don't seize my means of production you know seize your own gotcha. and you can take that and run with it uh, all the way to the gulags and the bread lines so yeah as long as it's opt-in opt-out you know, so when you get sick of the bread lines, you can come over to Walmart with us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Cole, as a corporate shill, <laughs> yeah. How okay. do you? How do I view wealth? How do you defend? How do you defend all that wealth just accumulating and uh, and how much is too much? So why is it bad to to wish for so much prosperity? Well, prosperity is really cool. <laughs> prosperity is great. Nothing wrong with being prosperous. Certainly having prosperity at a communal and societal level is great because it allows you to make horrible human suffering like a thing of the past mm. at large scale. So, for example, like if you look at the amount of wealth our society, like the global society, right, has accumulated in the past thousand years, the GDP per capita of the average human in the last thousand years has gone up like... I don't know, more than 10,000 fold in that period. Mm -hmm. And what you see as a result of this is across the board, you know, better health care, longer lived people, you know, people are living longer, way less child mortality, um, you know, way less, you know, more access to medical technology. Uh, so, so like less morbidity inducing illness you see people with more free time. You see creative industries prosper, whereas before, like, creative industries were for very few, very privileged people. Now, like, people all over the world are able to make money off of their artwork. Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not logo design is artwork, I will leave for the scholars to debate, but whatever. <laughs> better than salt mining. <laughs> so prosperity and wealth are like really cool for all that stuff you know and like air conditioning's great it's good to be comfortable you know it, it makes hot parts of the planet more livable um look I, I mean i feel like especially to an american primarily american audience I, I don't really have to explain like why you should embrace a system that does a good job of generating wealth especially for the median average person um, I think where it becomes more interesting is like, okay, what are all the downsides? What does wealth do? Okay. So like mm. wealth, when it's not seen as a means to an end, but rather the end itself, uh, is an idol. Mm. It's an idol, right? So like, why are idols bad? Well, because we worship them over God and we lose sight of God and we lose sight of repentance and bettering ourselves and walking closer and closer with God 
with each day um, mm. and preparing ourselves for eternity, which when we pray to God and we look to God as our guide in life and we are concerning ourselves with like, what does God want for me? If you're a Christian, you believe you're an eternal being. You have an eternal soul. So think about eternity and then divide up the maximum hundred years you're going to spend on this earth, right? It becomes like zero, negligible in that way. Mm. So, but the, your time on this earth prepares you for eternity. So God is definitely concerned with what you do on earth. I'm not trying to say he's not. But he's much more concerned with it within the context of your eternal life than within the context of whether or not you can afford a Cancun trip this year. Hmm. So I think that's the piece that a lot of people miss. So it's like, is having a jet ski really cool? Yes, it is. It's not as important <laughs> as getting the child mortality rate down, but it is a lot of fun. And I really enjoy a good romp on the jet ski. Of course. But <laughs> now if that jet ski becomes an idol for me and I spend all my time on it and I take pictures on it and glorify myself while I'm jet skiing and I put it on Instagram and I try to shove it in everyone's face and brag about it. And it's all I talk about. And it's all I think about is how great jet skiing is. Um, then that has become this impediment to my prayer life, my time with God, mm. my repentance, like it's invaded my thoughts and distracted me from what's important in this world, which is preparing for eternity and being with Christ mm -hmm. and loving him and feeling his love. Uh, so that's where wealth goes wrong. You know, people who like obsess over wealth accumulation, people who... You know, and also wealth does another really terrible thing, which is it encourages us to depend on it other than God. All intimate relationships are based on dependence, right? And it's not to say that you need to be codependent in an unhealthy way with the people around you. Um, that's bad. But you count on things, right? Yeah. You count, you count on things, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You count on the people close to you, you know, like you and I are very close. We've leaned on each other over the years, you know? And, um, if you are in a crisis, I like expect you to lean on me and I welcome that mm -hmm. and vice versa. It's been more one-sided for the past 15 years, but who knows, maybe one day you'll be more of a mess than I am. And I can, uh, you know, <laughs> No, as pastors, <laughs> as, as, <laughs> no, as pastors, we only cultivate relationships in order to one day ask for money. So like, the remember time will all come. Those, every year is $20,000. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I don't know, Cole, I led you to paradise. So what's that worth to you? <laughs> How much is that? Yeah, I hear you had a good worth? quarter. I hope it's a yacht. <laughs> <laughs> time for my best life now. <laughs> exactly darn cheap um yeah. so 
yeah, it, it, it gets in the way of our relationship with God and it, it leads us into like depending on money rather than depending on God. So, you know, my, my pastor, I mean, he used to say, if you are on the fence and you want to know God, you feel like, oh, I don't have a strong relationship with God. Literally give away all of your money and possessions and say, God, I depend on you for everything. I depend on you for my next meal. I depend on you to clothe me. I depend on you to shelter me. I'm literally just going to lean on you and praise and worship you and be with you until you lead me somewhere that is a path that you want for me. And until then, I'm going to literally just depend on you and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And he's like, everyone that I've ever seen try that finds God in the most incredible way. Mm. So, yeah, like wealth, you know, like, well, I don't need God. I have a great bank account. You know, I kind of I rely on that. This is another really big, like, issue with wealth. Is, is it I guess that that's the second part of it, right? So we, we've identified one, the theology behind these things and how it can be flawed Two, like wealth and the idol that it can be. But I think the third thing that I think is really difficult for all of us, everyone, is, is it a bad thing to strive for? Mm. Is it something that we if, should it, want? I hope not. If, if it is, I'm pretty fucked. <laughs> <laughs> is it something that we should want? Because like Jesus is as, as, uh, as uh, that example points out, right? Like that's taken right from what Jesus told to do to the rich young ruler to do, right? Sell all that you have, give it to the poor and follow me. Uh, and so like, that's, that's uh, right out of there. And of course, Jesus has other teachings, uh, in our, in our opening, we, we talked about it a little bit on the first episode there with the, the, uh, camel through the eye of a needle sort of thing. Right. Um, and so it's like, one of the questions I remember one of my friends who listens to this podcast, who asked me in seminary was like, how much do you think a, it's specifically a pastor can make before it becomes too much? And I've always been really interested in like trying to answer that because I truly don't know. I like don't because there are some pastors mm -hmm. out there and I, it's like remove like Kenneth Copeland and all the people that like fleece people for money. Yeah. Let's just use like normal. So like, for instance, in my denomination, mainline progressive liberal denomination the person who earns the most in our denomination is the woman who's the pastor at the presbyterian church in in chicago the what's like fourth presbyterian or something and she earns like four hundred thousand dollars a year and it's like is that is that too much what if like a pastor had a yacht that he saved up for or bought is, is that like an extravagance it's, it's interesting um i noticed and this is you know a lot of people outside like to critique people in the church uh, for for this type of thing and i think that can be good help keep us honest and stuff yeah, like that but it's um, also about where the money comes from like is that four hundred thousand sure. dollars in salary all from like per capita and tithes oh i don't know i i, I haven't looked at their budget so i would have no idea well, like where I else assume, does their money come from i mean i would assume an, an old school church in in chicago part of it is wealthy parishioners part of it is also probably a massive endowment that Carnegie probably gave to them in the 1910s yeah. or something. So yeah, I mean, that's, to that's me, that's egregious. But like at the same time, you got someone like Rick Warren. He's worth over $25 million. And right. I say, God bless him. He, he, he's earned every penny. 
Now, like, why the distinction? So, like, if you're getting your pay from tithes and endowment and, like, whatever, like, per capita, like, you're getting it from mainly donation, That those donations aren't going so that you can earn an extravagant $400,000 a year salary. Right. Like, and, and if you think they are and they're okay with that, see what happens when before that basket goes around, you tell your laity that, mm-hmm. you know, and part of this will go to continuing the $400 salary of Ms. Whatever her name is. See what happens. See what, what you get in the basket at the end of that service. OK, <laughs> if you think that's what they're thinking, because it's not it's not. Um, I think that's crazy. But Rick Warren wrote one of the best selling books of all time. So is he like, how many copies did, um, has Rick Warren sold? Just total. I don't know. Rick Warren books (laughs) sold total. It's in the millions. I know that. Sure. Oh, easily. Yeah, easily. Yeah. And I think he actually, from what I heard, I heard that he like reverse tithes. So he like gives away 90% of what he takes in and, and only keeps 10% or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I was just watching a video from Mount Athos where like a guy is commanded to do that <laughs> to reverse tithe. Um, right. but yeah, I, so he sold about 123 million copies just of purpose driven life alone. Right. right. Okay. And that was in 2012. So that was 10 right. years ago. So- yeah. I mean, the and man people still read it today. If he yeah. made. So how is he? So he's worth 25 million about. We th- people think they estimate. But if he even made one dollar a book off purpose driven life, he would have made one hundred and twenty five million. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Right. So yeah. so it's like I look <laughs> at him and I'm like. He might not be rich enough, <laughs> you know, like and I know that, yeah, he reverse tides. He gives a lot of it away. Right. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of that net worth is in like a trust for, I don't know, church plants or something like I'm sure he's not. I'm sure he doesn't own a yacht. Okay, so so (laughs) it's funny because I can look at someone like that and say only 25 million. But then I I look at someone who's like, uh, I don't know, a member of the clergy who is making 400 grand a year off tithes and maybe endowment. And I'm like, that's not what that endowment was for. And you know it. And that's not why people tithe and you know it. And that's sick. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, it is like a very nuanced thing. Interesting. I, I've never heard that take that that take before, but I think it's uh, something to ponder and think about. No, it's just a it's an interesting thing. I mean, some people would I can already hear some people going like, eh, it doesn't matter the nuance. You should just just live like a hermit on top of a. Uh, uh, like a like some of those desert hermits in early church history that lived on top of pillars, and like just just oh yeah, that's a people. great place to form the body of Christ as we're commanded to in scripture, <laughs> alone on the top of a pillar. Oh, I have to tell you, Cole, you like this. One of the people in seminary believed that, um, and maybe you'll agree. I don't know that that monks uh, or people, just in general, it doesn't actually have to be monks do as good work of evangelism by staying in their room and just praying for evangelism than people who actually go out there and talk to people. I thought that was pretty funny. That's like um, a very common very belief in orthodoxy. 
Yeah, very orthodox take. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, at least they're in a community. They're not like. Sure. They're not hermits. <laughs> and people visit them and they evangelize them. That's kind of their. Oh, well, that's how this hermits became popular. Everyone would go check them out because they thought it was weird <laughs> that people would live on top of these pillars for 10 years and they would weave, they'd like lower little baskets down and people would fill it with food and they'd pull them up. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it is funny. So I can always do that <laughs> if all else fails. But I mean, yeah, th does that make sense to you that like I'm kind of OK with Rick Warren, but I'm not OK with like essentially a church administrator making almost half a million a year? Yeah, I mean, I think it I think it. I think what you're attaching there is like wealth to, um, I don't want to say ministry success necessarily, but like value, like, value, cre well, it's not just value created even. It's like, where does the money come from? If your sure. money is, is coming from people tithing, that's true. That's not yeah. what the tithes are for. Like the tithes are so right. that you can sustain yourself, you right. know? And, and, um, yeah, I don't think Rick Warren pulls any sort of income from his church. No, I think it's certainly all, not. Yeah, I think it's all sort of like stuff from his books. And it, it, it's, like that. it's that that is a disingenuous transaction. If someone is tithing and m that money is going to someone making 400 grand a year, that's totally disingenuous. Whereas like someone like I've personally bought three copies of Purpose Driven Life, you know, mm -hmm. um, for other people. Mine was the one that I read was given to me. And by the way, Purpose Driven Life will, will change your life. No matter what denomination you are, if you're kind of like lukewarm or you want to sort of step into, um, I don't know, the, the next like level of your relationship with God, like Purpose Driven Life is fantastic. Cannot recommend it enough. Um, but yeah, like that's very honest. It's like I bought three copies of that book. Some of that money went to Rick Warren and he deserves it. You yeah. know, because it's an honest transaction. I bought something he made. And so he gets money from that. It's a dishonest transaction. When I tithe at a church. Under the assumption, right, that that money is going to be used for like maintaining the church and taking care of, you know, the, the clergy that work at the church full time and maybe some other a smattering of their administrative costs to, so that people can live decent lives like, I don't think that, like, the priests should be living, like, in destitution or living like the poorest in our society. Like, no, I mean, I think they should be living well. Um, but, I mean, 400 grand a year is a number that no one donating that money would agree to fund. I, I can tell you that, you know. I mean, I've been in, like, church town hall meetings where people are bickering over, like, whether or not paying someone $52,000 a year is too much. It's too much, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. four hundred would be out of the question for any congregant. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say to our listeners, uh, you can think what you want about clergy. And this is, does not apply to me at all. My I'm very well compensated for what I do. I uh, My denomination does a really good job of protecting pastors and clergy. But like, it's actually, I would say... Uh, most clergy are greatly underpaid for the amount of money, the amount of work that they actually put in. Yeah. Um, and so, it, you know, it's it, as much as we might talk about people living high on the hog or whatever, it's actually very, it's incredibly rare. So, 
Just yeah. Wanna, just want to make that clear. But but what's you know what's we can end this segment by asking our listeners what how much do they think uh, clergy should make? Yeah. Um, what would be an acceptable amount? Even if you're on the outside on the church, if you're on the inside, like what do you like? What would be something that you read and you went, "That's that's a lot of money." So yeah, it's funny. I googled just for fun PCUSA pastor salary, and uh-huh. ZipRecruiter goes seventeen to one hundred and ten thousand dollars a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're they're they're. It's by Presbytery, so they they match it to wherever the living cost of living is in your area. So a church. If they, if you come on as a full time or part time pastor, they they say this is how much you have at least have to pay them. So, mm-hmm. which is not the case in most other denominations and churches. Yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So, um, do we do we even have questions this week? Uh, you had, you didn't send me any. I don't think we have any interesting questions to go through anyway. You know. All right. So I, I say we just kind of like call this one early. Um, I don't have anything else to say to you. No, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. Well, to we're we're, to we're sure as heck not going to talk about abortion. So no, <laughs> any questions that have been sent on, on that topic are going to be fully ignored. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> thank you all for joining us. Uh, thank you for your questions on abortion that we're not going to answer. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast and our utter disregard for the listenership, then please leave us a positive review on whatever platform you listen mm. to us on. And hey, you know what would be real nifty is if you could share the love and, mm. you know, find one of your little buddies to shoot a link on over to. They can yeah, join claim the party. One of your, name and claim one of your friend's... Uh, text messages and send them, I claim send you them in the name to... of cool kids Bible study podcast <laughs> and I submit you to listen to hours and hours of bullshit driveling <laughs> the spirit overcomes me and I, I, I hold the airpods to your ears <sighs> yeah so all that good stuff <laughs> all right Till next week, you stay cool, you cool kids. Peace out.